Welcome to Enid Monthly In-Depth, the podcast with Enid people for Enid people. Today's guest is Gail Box, a Northwest Oklahoma native who came to Enid and served the Enid community as a counselor for many years. She got married, raised three great kids, until one morning she got a terrible call that changed her life. As a result, she has now dedicated her life to the awareness of prescription medication addiction. Listen as Gail talks about her childhood, her family, Austin Box, and what the Austin Box 12 Foundation is doing to help our community. Here's Gail. Hey, this is Robert Falk with Enid Monthly In-Depth, and I'm sitting here with Gail Box. She's the co-founder and president of the Austin, Austin Box 12 Foundation, uh, and Gail is here to talk a little bit about an event coming up. How are you, Gail? I am great. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks, Gail. I appreciate you being here. Uh, we, uh, when we do this, we usually start to uh, talk to people about kind of where they came from, where they grew up, and get to know them a little bit about pe- as people, uh, and then we get to go for their event and talk about that stuff. Is that cool with you? All right. That sounds great. All right. Well, Gail... Uh, Are you from Enid? Is is this your hometown? I am actually, well, I was born in Enid, but I am from a small town called Manchester, about 50 miles north of here. Uh, I grew up on a farm ranch, and Enid was the big city that we always came to. Uh, So that's why you were born here, is because your parents came down and had you here at the hospital? Exactly. This was the closest hospital, so that's why I was born in Enid. Well, if it's 50 miles north, that must have been right on the Kansas border then. It is. In fact, the family farm is is on the Kansas border. Was that what your parents did, run the family farm? Yes. Uh, Were they multi-generational in that area? Yes. Actually, I had two great-grandparents that made the land run. So I'm very proud of of that. So that was a, a small town then, and growing up in a small community and a small high school, I'm assuming? Yes. Manchester only had a grade school. So I went to Manchester through eighth grade and then to Waukita for high school. And Manchester, give or take, was around 100 people. Okay. Did you have siblings? Yes, I had two brothers. I was the youngest in the family. Are they still farming or are they doing something else? Uh, they're retired. My nephew is now farming the land. Oh, well, that's that's really neat. So it's still in the family then. It is great. I am so proud of him for following in the footsteps of his ancestors and taking over the family farm because it's a hard job. Well, we know that your uh, uh, that your son and daughter were athletes uh, growing up in high school, and so what uh, what about you? Were you an athlete? Yes, I played basketball and some tennis. Do you still play any tennis? Not since my knees chose to not let me. <laughs> I hear you. I, uh, I played a little basketball and tennis myself, and uh, and my ankles and knees hurt every time after I get done. <laughs> you can identify then. Yeah, for sure. So did you, uh, what did you do when you graduated high school? Did you go off to college or go to work? Yes, I did. I went to college. I went to Northwestern Oklahoma State University, which wasn't too far from my home. Did you graduate with a degree from there? Yes, I did. I graduated uh, with an education degree in elementary and secondary. And then I went on to get my degree in guidance and counseling. Okay. Is that what you did for a career growing up? Or yes. When you got older? I 
had right around 30 years in education, uh, probably half of it in junior high, high school, and the other half as a guidance counselor in high school. And are you, are you retired now? Or you... Yes, I retired about eight years ago. Was that, uh, did you do it at Enid Public Schools or uh, just kind of all around? Yes, most of it was in the Enid Public Schools. Um, I retired from Enid High School as a guidance counselor wow, that's when really, I retired. About how long ago was that? Did you retire? Uh, about eight years ago. So you saw a lot of the a lot of the kids that are that are growing up and have their careers and and uh, came back to Enid. Uh, you uh, you were probably the guidance counselor for a lot of them. Yes, in fact, I had uh, a doctor's appointment just a checkup this morning, and one of my students was my doctor. So that's always uh, interesting. Yeah, I bet, <laughs> I bet it's really cool to be able to see. Uh, uh, students go on and, and uh, be successful in their lives. It is, and especially when they stay in Enid and and provide resources for our community, and it's just great to see that. Well, at some point, you met and married uh, Craig Box, and so uh, where did you meet Craig at? We met at Northwestern, and uh, we got married actually fairly young. We got married before he graduated from college. So you were with them through uh, the end of college and law school? Yes, yes. When I went to law school, I, they told us to look around that the person uh, to your left and to your right, uh, and that one of the three of you were going to be divorced during law school. And uh, wow! And, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I thought that that was pretty silly. But uh, after uh, I got divorced during law school, I, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely. Uh, showed me that that was a true, or, uh, you know, anecdotally at least, a true statistic. So it's cool that you guys have made it so long. We have been married over 40 years now. Well, that's really neat. Uh, And so uh, you guys had a couple of kids, right? Uh, Yes. Two girls and and a boy. Oh, three three kids. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about the children. Okay. My oldest daughter, Courtney, and they all graduated from Enid High School, and they all graduated from the University of Oklahoma. But my oldest daughter, Courtney, is in Little Rock, Arkansas. She has a little boy, so I have a grandson. And she works for a nonprofit there called Forward Arkansas. It's a it's an educational foundation. And then my middle daughter, Whitney, works for uh, Walmart. And then of course Austin, who um, he played sports here in Enid, basketball, baseball, and football. Actually, he stopped playing playing baseball when he was younger. Or I'm sorry, basketball when he was younger, and then went on to the University of Oklahoma to play football. Okay. Well, so what was the connection to OU for all your children to go to OU? Well, I think even though we did not go there, I always grew up as a Sooner fan, and so did my husband, and so we would always, uh, actually, we would go to games, and then, um, I don't know, it ju- we just passed it on to our children, I guess, the love of, of OU, and from the time he was uh, probably four years old, Austin always wanted to play for the University of Oklahoma. Did Craig go to OU for law school? No, he went to the University of Tulsa. Okay, well, that's interesting. I didn't. I, I was not aware of that. So uh, uh, now Craig was an athlete, right? 
Yes, um, that's why he was at Northwestern. He played, he had gotten a scholarship to Northwestern to play football. Okay. Uh, and uh, what about your your two daughters? Did, were they, uh, did they play sports in high school? Yes. But uh, my youngest played volleyball and my oldest played basketball. But when they went to college, they were just students. That was the, that was the end of their uh, <laughs> that athletic was, career. That was the end. Well, let's talk a little bit about Austin and because uh, we're here to talk about the Austin Box Foundation. Mm-hmm. So, what was Austin a an exceptional athlete from a very young age? Could you did you just know that was something was different about him? Yes, it was. Oh, he had great hand eye coordination, and I don't know. He just had a love of of anything recreational. I think throwing a ball, it, anything that he could do, he was he would do it as often as he could. Uh, well, I bet. Well, and uh, ultimately, he became a star at Enid High School for both baseball and football, right? That's correct. Well, tell us a little bit about his high school career. What uh, what you remember about that? Okay. Well, he had to when he was um, a sophomore. In high school, as I said, he was playing basketball, baseball, and football, but he had a back injury, and so he felt like that he needed to give up a sport to be able to rehab and keep in his body in the kind of shape that he needed to in regard to a back injury that he had. He had to constantly stay on top of, of his physical well-being and so he gave up basketball and just played baseball and football but he was a joy to watch I think for most people because you could tell how much he loved the sport well I uh I didn't grow up in Enid but I came back and during their state title whenever they uh, made the playoffs and did well in the uh, I can't remember exactly how far they went did they make the state title game yes they, they okay. did mm-hmm. uh, and uh and you know and there's just certain times you can watch football or baseball that your eyes is drawn to a particular player and I didn't know anything about Austin at the time and and uh, I do remember just uh, he was just just involved in every single play. Uh, and so that was really cool. That you, and there are some other players I've seen over the years that when I go to an Enid High game that, that kind of do that. Donovan Riemann this year, Ryman uh, this year was one of them. That, that you can, your eyes just drawn to them as being somebody that's, that, that's clearly uh, a different. And uh, so that I, I'll, I still remember that from 15, 20 years later for, uh, of that, uh, that, those playoff games. So. And I think the the fact that, I mean, he was, he loved his teammates. We always like to say he loved his teammates and his teammates loved him. I think you could also see his leadership skills on the field as well. That was probably one of the things that I was most proud of. Was he a, a friendly, outgoing kid? Very much so. Yeah. He he imagined himself as a comedian, I think. <laughs> So it was an easy decision whenever he got uh, when he got offered by OU to commit to OU. Yes, it was. Uh, it was kind of a funny story. He was being recruited by almost everyone in the Big Twelve, and and uh, he had been talking a little bit to USC, and he went and visited uh, Notre Dame, and. We thought, you know, it was a decision that you know, he might really be pondering, but 
one day he came home from school and he said, Dad, I was, uh, this was when he was a junior, he said, Dad, I was Coach Venables. I was talking to Coach Venables today and I'm going to go to OU. So with Coach Venables back at OU, is that a yeah. big deal right now? <laughs> Well, you mentioned USC. That's the team that shall not be named Actually, around here. Actually, right? I should not have even have even given them airtime because exactly we don't talk about them. Yeah, uh, back then away, it wasn't so uh, such a bad word, but now it's a uh... absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, um, whenever he committed, he committed to Coach Venables and Coach Stoops. Was he the coach at the time? Yes, Coach Stoops was the coach at the time, and then of course. Of course, uh, Coach Venables coached the defense, and, and he recruited him pretty heavily. Now, I know, obviously, ultimately what happened that people were very surprised about it. Was it something that you guys uh, were concerned about, uh, or when did that start, when, when kind of the prescription uh, okay. pills? that? Okay, well, I, I always start out, I mean, I did not know so, or we did not know that Austin was abusing prescription medications until the day he passed away. And I have made it my mission to tell as many people as I can, many young people, old people, I will speak to anyone. I will speak to audience of, audiences of one to however many you want to invite to speak uh, because you need to know the dangers of prescription medications. And especially for someone, I think Austin's story is a good story because it resonates with so many people in that it can happen to anyone. It can happen to your your doctor, your neighbor, your your best friend. This is not something that addiction is not something that that any of us um, you know is is any of us can can avoid if it grabs a hold of us for whatever reason so anyway back to the question about how it happened to austin austin as i told you when he was a sophomore he suffered a back injury it was called a pars injury and that is a a tiny stress fracture in your vertebrae it was his fourth vertebrae it never heals and it causes pain almost uh some type of pain pretty much all the time what you need to do if you're going to continue the the kind of physical activity that austin did is to uh learn to strengthen the rest of your body especially your core so and you said sophomore a sophomore in high school or yes a sophomore okay. in high school okay yes he was actually i had gone to pick him up from uh, baseball in the summertime. He was playing Legion baseball, and uh, his coach, Bill Mayberry, said, you know, I think something's wrong with Austin. And so I took him to the doctor, and we discovered the injury to his back. So it wasn't some big violent collision or anything like that? It was just some sort of injury that came on over time? Exactly. I am sure something maybe caused it, but we do not know. But it just, he started having the back spasms 
and the pain in his back. And he then. didn't complain about it at all? Um, no, Austin didn't complain much. He had a high tolerance for pain, which I think enabled him to to play at the high level. He did play. Um, one of the things, and and I'm so happy that it's coming out now more, is the mental health of athletes, mental health in general. And and I hope that eventually it will be destigmatized. But uh, right now, there continues to be the stigma of mental health and addiction. So... Anyway, though, back to Austin's story, I kind of get on these these tangents about the things that that I really am passionate about. And as I said, one of the things is destigmatizing addiction and mental health. But he went on, and I'll, I'll kind of make it brief. In high school, he continued to have the back injury, and that plagued him and then he had an elbow injury that was around the time of the playoffs he had um he hyper extended his his elbow in the opposite direction in a 90 degree angle so that kind of plagued him he played with a brace for a while but as quarterback of the team they really needed him to go out and play so those were his two major injuries in high school but he was never given uh, any type of prescription pain medications nor did did he depend really on on just over-the-counter pain medications I like to think that he was able to handle it and, you know, physically with rehab and physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so that's really interesting. He had two pretty significant injuries in high school, but he, uh, he that uh, for whatever reasons, doctors never prescribed him anything. Is it, uh, was that because of the concerns of addiction at the time or was it just, just what he, he wasn't hurting enough? I just think he didn't feel like he needed, needed them. Austin was... Like I said, he had a, a strong character, a strong will to to overcome, I think. Excuse me, when he went on to the University of Oklahoma to play, he had um, the only year, and I'm not even sure what a red shirt is anymore, but when Austin played, a red shirt if you know if you had any play at time at all you lost that year of eligibility and he went early he went uh in the middle of his senior year to OU hoping to play early but the only year that he was healthy there was when he had uh was was his first year and he was redshirted that year the rest of the years, and like I said, I'll make him brief. He had a knee surgery. He had to have Tommy John surgery on the elbow. And I think that he was, um, like I said, he continued. He was not prescribed pain medications. He worked a lot with the trainers and to, to stay healthy. But I think that he started really, and, and I say the word think a lot. You're going to hear me say it over and over, think, because I don't actually know. But I think emotionally, mentally, he began 
to break down with all of the injuries and it oh you particularly he would win his a starting spot and then he would have a surgery or he would he- have another injury and and once again he handled them he did not take prescription medications of that I'm a hundred percent certain um, I will never forget when he had his Tommy John surgery. He said, um, I asked him, now if I could go back in time, I would change so many things about my mindset, about prescription medications, prescription pain medications. But at that time, we don't, didn't know what we know now. And I just remember saying to Austin, he had a prescription painkiller. I'm not sure which one it was. And he was sitting in the chair with his elbow all propped up after the surgery. And I said, um, do you want to take another one of your pain medications? And he said, no, I don't think I need them. And he did not take them. And this was his sophomore year? Uh, this was his, yes, his sophomore year mm-hmm. in, in college. Okay. Uh, well, and did you, you said that he was an outgoing uh, a bubble egg kid. Um, was there at any point that you saw a mental health change? Was it uh, whether it was because he was having a difficulty starting, uh, you know, getting moving with uh, starting because of his injuries or anything like that? Was there anything you saw about his personality that changed? That- Not at all. I think that that he felt like he had been given so much. There was no room to complain. I remember asking him once um, after one of his injuries, I said, now, are you, you know, how are you feeling? How are you handling this? I said, you know, how do you feel mentally, emotionally about this? I, I remember distinctly sitting on the couch and he said, oh, I'm fine. And that was just the way he was. Now, you know, what they always say about hindsight. <laughs> after I learned so much and after I thought back over things, um, you know, there were things that, that I missed. But as far as a red, red flag at the time, that's why, as I said, I am so happy to see that we're paying more attention to the mental health of athletes. In fact, I just think Patty Gasso is just an amazing, amazing coach and human being. And I know that she did a big story on in in the Oklahoman on Sunday about about the mental health of athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of things, especially about football, that have come out over the last 10 or 15 years that that have some parents concerned about, uh, uh, you know, allowing their kids to play. And in, in a lot of uh, a lot of places, uh, they're having it, finding it difficult to find enough players to play because of concussions, especially, but other injuries as well. Uh, and uh, you know, my my stepson played football the last couple of years, but but I have to admit that if he wanted to play when he was third or fourth grade, I probably would have had a little bit more of a, a concern about that. So uh, is that something that concerns you, the the injury rates or the concussions of, of, of the children's youth uh, football? Oh, absolutely. As, as parents, you reach, really need to be diligent in regard to, to 
emotion, the emotional and physical well-being of your children. And I say diligent, just watch for signs. Um, you know, whatever they may be. I do, you know your child better than, than anyone. Watch for any signs indicating that that there may be mental or physical issues. And also, you know, equipment has changed now. You know, the youth sports needs to make sure that they they have good equipment to protect kids and just across the board, better equipment in regard to safety. Now, some of the personality changes they've uh, they've attributed to CTE because mm-hmm. of concussions. Was that ever a concern with Austin? To my knowledge, Austin never had had a concussion. He he never had any type of head injury. Well, that's, that's good to know. What uh, so one night you got a pretty devastating call. I'm assuming. And so, have you? Uh, what was that like that night? And how did you find out that it was an overdose? And and that uh, uh, what those concerns were. Actually, you know, it was a time you always worry about your children at night if they're out. And I remember telling the kids, you know, nothing good ever happened after. <laughs> midnight but uh this call came at 9 30 in the morning Mm. it was a thursday morning i was sitting at my desk at enid high school and one of his former coaches came in and said "Uh, you need to get to the el reno hospital immediately austin is in the hospital and that is all I knew, I just jumped in my car and headed to, to El Reno, and it was there that uh, they told me he had taken some type of medication. I didn't know anything other than that, and um, he was he was intubated, and he was he was unconscious, non-responsive, and he never at the emergency room. He was medified to Mercy Hospital in Oklahoma City, and um, he never regained consciousness, and and he passed away uh, a short time after arriving at the emergency room there. When did you find out that it was specifically an overdose and what it was an overdose of? Uh, talking to the doctors, and we didn't know specifically until um, the autopsy was done. We just knew the person that he was with told us that that he had ingested, uh, he had been taking prescription pain medication, and he had ingested that that night so you'll have some somewhat of an idea then what what had happened yes well uh, obviously that having something that traumatic i mean that must have been just terrible i can't even imagine what that would be like uh you've really uh tried to take that terrible situation and and like we've been talking about make some awareness of uh, prescription drug medications and the and what i've the practice that i've had in the past and and uh, just research that i've done and talking to mental health professionals and and uh mental health substance abuse services director 
um, that they kind of likened it to a light switch being turned on for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all people uh, get the same feeling from uh, uh, taking a particular substance, whether it's uh, a prescription drug or whether it's marijuana or whether it's alcohol for some people or whether, uh, but that it's like a light switch. And then once that light switch is turned, it makes everything in their life uh, revolve around when the next time that's going to be. Uh, do you have any backtracking what that looked like and talking to his acquaintances and friends? Do you have any uh, indication whether that was true for Austin or uh, what that looked like for him? Austin, it appeared, was very, very specific about who uh, he let in on this deadly secret. His his good friends, the, the people that we thought he was around all the time, had no idea. He had a lovely little girlfriend, and uh, they had no idea. He had, he chose to keep it very secret except for the people that were enabling him to be able to do this. Was the enabling part uh, partially because he was a, a very well-known football player to you? And was that uh, part of it or is it? You know, interestingly enough, these were also friends from his past that he had known. I see. A long time. Yeah. Well, I, uh, um, one thing that we hear a lot is that, uh, but I don't think people really get the sense of uh, how powerful that opiate addiction can be. Uh, and uh, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned about opiate addiction and uh, especially prescription uh, pain uh, killers? Absolutely. Um, when, and I love, I will speak to community groups or anyone, but my, my preference is to, to speak to junior high school and high school and high school students. In fact, I just have begun again this month. I spoke in Cordell and Elk City and Sayre. And one of the things that you were were talking about, the light switch, when I talk to uh, students, I always kind of divide them into thirds. And I'll say this, there's a small group of you over here, and you will take an opioid and he will go, oh, my gosh, that made me so sick. That's me. To my stomach. <laughs> I, I don't like it. <laughs> and you hear about that all the time, you know, when people are having a surgery or something, you know, they, they say, you know, don't give me that. It will make me very ill. So there's that group. And then you've got the larger group. Uh, I always point to the middle and say, you t- and if you all take it, you will go, oh, you know, that really helped. I liked it. You know, if I ever have pain, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to maybe, and unfortunately, in, in many groups, adults, whatever, they'll say, hmm, I'll keep that one in my medicine cabinet just in case I will ever have pain again. And then you have a smaller group, maybe 10% uh, that takes that prescription opioid, and they will go, wow. They'll have the euphoric feeling or the light switch that that comes on, and they'll say, that is, that is, you know, the best thing. That is the answer to everything for me. 
And the scary part of that is research for that group shows that it could possibly only take five, five to seven pills that will create an addiction. That is so frightening to me to think that. And, and you know, this could be a very young person then that is going to face addiction the rest of their lives. For Austin, this is, and once again, I'm going to use that word, think. Um, he was, when he had his last serious injury, it was a ruptured disc in his back right at the end of the year. And, or right at the beginning of, of football season. And he was in the hospital. And once again, this is 2011. Uh, I think back to what I have found later. And, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed for our, our society that we were ignoring the death rate opioids the year that 2000 in in 2011 when Austin passed away close to 500 Oklahomans died of a prescription drug overdose that same year did I know anything about it until Austin passed away and the answer is is no I don't know what was happening in our society in the United States that we were not paying attention to that. And we know that it has taken so many more lives since then. But what in a, certain periods of time, it's been more than other illicit drugs. Like, I mean, even crack cocaine or heroin or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's been more uh, deadly. Well, and now we have the synthetic opioid fentanyl that they're putting uh they meaning cartels whoever uh it could be in marijuana they could be lacing marijuana with it they could be lacing heroin with it uh because it's more addictive so so that's their key is to you know with addiction comes profit so um but back to austin i'll make a a quick analogy when I talk to kids I always say when he was laying there in in bed with this back injury he was on his flat on his back for uh two or three days and and he was given morphine to control his pain because it was very painful and I always think about him laying there and where he was physically and emotionally at that time, and I think when he got morphine, I think he thought, wow, this is my answer. I feel better physically. I feel better mentally. And my analogy of addiction when I talk to particularly young people is, I think the most angelic arm reached out and and grabbed Austin around the shoulders and it felt so good. He found his answer. The sad thing is that answer 
was addiction, and he couldn't break away from it. Well, I've seen a presentation where uh, it shows slides of uh, people under active addiction and their brain chemistry actually mm-hmm. changes. Absolutely. Uh, and then, uh, but the good news is, is that after a period of time, mm-hmm. uh, it, it doesn't even have to be that long uh, that that brain chemistry starts going, reverting back to normal uh, and uh, over months. I mean, it takes months to get yeah, completely normal. Uh, but I mean, that's the good news is, is that, that people are uh, can get healthy. And, uh, uh, but what do you say to people that you and I both know, uh, now mm-hmm. that uh, just not, I don't have a personal mm-hmm. knowledge of it, but just based upon people that I know and have talked to that, um, that addiction, true addiction, where the person is, is drug seeking to the point that they will do almost anything, mm-hmm. uh, to find their next fix. Uh, uh people don't understand it. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't. They say, exactly. unless they know somebody close to them, uh, they think it's their fault. Why don't they just stop? Do you have exactly. anything to say to those people? Well, unfortunately, many people think that it is a moral failing addiction. And it is not. It is a, it is a medical problem. It is an illness. Just like you have cancer, it is a brain disease. Um, And we have got to look at just like you just, the, the key is it changes the chemistry of your brain. Therefore, it is a brain disease. And until people really Look at the research. Um, there is a wonderful woman. Her name is um, Dr. Nora Volkow. And Volkow. She is a head of the National Drug Institute. And she has done so much research on, on the brain and addiction. I encourage anyone that feels that way to really read about addiction as a brain disease. And once I, as I said, once you have the brain disease, and and you said that you can over months, you can overcome your your desire, but it's always going to be a battle. Mm-hmm. And for I don't know you. what, and for everybody, it's different. What ends that battle mm-hmm. for them, whether it's family, whether it's a mm-hmm. be, going to the hospital because of an mm-hmm. overdose, whether it's aging out. Some people just age out and just uh, feel like they're too old to do it anymore. Uh, but but for every person, it's different what, what, mm-hmm. what they feel like their rock bottom is and decides to stop. So... Uh, that's that's the that's the difficult part too, right? There's no one size fits all solution. Exactly, and we just hope and we need to do everything that we can to keep that rock bottom from being death. Now, for some people that you know that that they'll also say, well, uh, it may not be their fault that they were they're they're an addict, but uh, mm-hmm. it's their fault that they tried something to begin with. But then mm-hmm. for a large percentage of people you know we can look at meth and say okay i better not try meth you know Mm -hmm. i mean that that might be you know that that as a common sense thing to do right but for people like austin i mean he had a he had significant injuries so he didn't Mm -hmm. really have much of a choice whether he got uh opioid painkillers did he you know in uh and i'll I'll kind of finish that story he did go home with a 
prescription. And I think uh, the, the doctors were very careful. They, he like said he just had one prescription uh, for an opioid. But I think that, that it was enough to trigger that need, the addiction in his brain. So no, once the addiction was triggered, he didn't have a choice. And I don't know, as I look back, you know, what, what could I have done to stop that? What? And I couldn't, I have had to come to terms with that. The guilt, um, all I can do is try to make sure that, that anyone that will listen to me can hear about the dangers of prescription drug overdose, opioids, and also now all these illicit drugs on the that that are coming from Mexico that look exactly like an opioid that you might get at a pharmacy. To let them know that, and I think that I don't know if it's the one the OBN uh, that has the 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 posters one pill can kill you know and for a kid who is um is maybe with a group of kids that you know and we know that they that kids are kids and they will experiment uh with and and with risky behaviors and you know it could be one pill that kills a child or a young person, or anyone. So as a parent or a, a family member or a loved one of somebody that uh, uh, that is kind of grown up, we, we want to talk to them about, uh, well, well, first off, let's talk about uh, Lortabs and morphine and fentanyl, like you said, synthetic mm-hmm. opioids. I mean, those are in the same family as heroin. Exactly. Uh, and so a lot of people don't... They're all opi- th- opioids. Op- uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of that, but they're all very closely related in chemistry. Uh, and in fact, some people that start on uh, start on painkillers uh, eventually progress to using heroin because it's cheaper. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, and and crazily, these days, it's more easily accessible. Right? Sure. Uh, and so that's a, that's a concern that we have to look at down the road. But as a friend or a family member, what can you say... At, to look for or to uh, be concerned about or what steps can you take to try to stop somebody from uh, getting on that train to addiction? I think knowledge is the key. You have to discuss with your kids the dangers. If they are going to engage, and, and as I said, we know that uh, the kids, their frontal lobes aren't developed yet and adolescence up through adolescence and and sometimes they engage in risky behaviors and you need to talk to them about those risky behaviors and I think Austin's story one of the reasons I tell the story is it can happen to anybody I mean it um as I go out and speak, I just hear story after story. I just heard about um, uh, when I was speaking this month about a church secretary who was visiting sick people to to uh, to maybe take some or to take some of their opioids, and you know people you would never expect 
expect, but we can all succumb to this this disease. And and I think for kids, you just have to know, you've got to talk about risky behaviors and what the result can be. Have you found in your research and talking to other experts that the majority of people that uh, that end up with a pain uh, painkiller addiction, that it comes first from being prescribed the painkillers or if they've tried them unprescribed first? I think in the past now, I think that we have gotten much better about, well, there's prescribing guidelines now. Back in 2011 uh, and before that and after that some, uh, you know, pharmaceutical companies were telling doctors that these were not addictive medications. And I think that is where the problem began because, you know, once you have, as we said, some people get the taste for that opioid, it's, you know, the euphoria becomes an addiction. And, but yes, more so in the past, but now I believe that, in, in the past, the majority were, yes, but now I think not with the prescription drug guidelines that are the prescribing guidelines that doctors have. So if you had if you had a child or a loved one that that had a surgery and was mm-hmm. prescribed that kind of thing, what what would you tell them uh, about being careful with that? If first of all, the doctor, you need to have a conversation with the doctor and your familial history in regard to addiction. I believe that that's important. And uh, discuss the need. Um, for example, you hear sometimes, uh, you know, someone going to to the dentist and, and getting a prescription for an opioid. You know, many times that might just be a day thing that you need. So I guess having a discussion with the doctor determine the need and evaluate the risks of the opioid. That's a really good point, I think, is the risk-benefit analysis that you you know that there's a a percentage that this could be very bad uh, for you or your family member, and then uh, uh, whether or not that some other medication that isn't as addictive could could, uh, work better. Absolutely. Well, that's really cool. Well said. Well, uh, do... um, uh, at some point you decided that you wanted to take the tragedy of Austin's passing and, and uh, do something about it. Uh, talk about a little bit about the starting of the Austin Box 12 Foundation and, okay. and uh, what you guys are up to. All right. Well, you know, it, our family family was just broken. Austin was, was very close to his sisters. I mean, we were a very close-knit family and uh, I mean the tragedy for us we were all just numb initially I mean I, I remember you know not even being able to to get out of bed and then you know just working on the fact that I could put my my feet over the side of the bed and take one step and then I <laughs> I remember my husband and I, uh, and I really don't know why, we were just 
we were just sitting in the bedroom and we were watching TV. And uh, um, the OU softball team was playing. It was right after Austin passed away. And they were wearing number 12s, Austin's number, on their, their helmets. And I don't know, a light went off. And I thought, they are supporting my son. I'm going to get up out of this bed, and I'm going to do the same thing, and I'm going to make a difference so no other family has to be paralyzed with the grief that our family is paralyzed with. And so as a family, we got together and and we talked about it, and, and that's how we started the foundation. Our daughter, the, the youngest daughter, started um, a Facebook page, and, you know, it just started growing. And so what you guys have an event coming up on May 21st, and that's how many years have you done it? Uh, let's see. I think that this is seven because, you know, it's kind of, and we, when I say that, you know, we've had COVID to deal with, <laughs> but uh, this is our, our seventh or eighth year and it just, we, we, it's a, take back event to raise awareness and and that's how we battle this we it's awareness and well, what are you taking back you said you're oh, taking back we you take oh back? i am sorry <laughs> i need to say that any prescription medications obn will be there and uh, just bring your prescription medications in a bag they don't look at them and we're talking about any prescription medications because any prescription that is not prescribed for you is dangerous. We're particularly trying to get the opioids out of people's medicine cabinets. And so, or if you do have, um, if you do need to take, and we know that some people must take prescription pain medications. Um, I mean, that is just a fact. We will be giving away lock boxes on that day. And uh, so you can keep your your medications in a lock box. Those are free. And also we will be giving away Narcan. Once again, uh, if you must take prescription main medications, pain medications, opioids, uh, specifically, Narcan is an opioid inhibitor. And if you are suffering an overdose, then Narcan can buy you some time. It is simply a nasal spray, just like any allergy nasal spray. We will be giving uh, free Narcan away. So I encourage anyone who does have a prescription for an opioid to have Narcan on hand just in case. And and you hear this many times, somebody older might take their medication and forget that they took it 
and take it again. So that's something good to have on hand if you're well, taking an for, opioid. And that and that's for even illicit users of opioids too. I mean, uh, we, we want to save their lives <laughs> too as well. Zap, exactly. So yes, if you are abusing prescription medication, prescription opioids, and that's the only thing Narcan works on is an opioid, uh, then then you need to have some Narcan Now, you on guys hand. have been uh, instrumental in, in providing Narcan to uh, first responders as well, isn't that right? Yes. Um, I was, for in 2013, we had, I actually went with the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse to do a rollout program for uh, the police department in Tulsa because they were suffering with so many overdoses there. And uh, the first responders started carrying Narcan. And then we actually, the foundation purchased Narcan for our first responders here in in Eden. But now uh, the state of Oklahoma will provide Narcan to anyone. All you have to do is get in touch with the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, and they will provide it. For example, uh, the police department uh, contacted me not long ago and said they were out of Narcan, and uh, I just referred them to the department, Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, and they provided them as much as they need. Because first responders, many times, I mean, they're first on the scene if somebody is is suffering from an overdose. So if they have, if they have it, they can save a life. Now, on the twenty first, I, I read that that I think it's the second year or so that they're also doing a, a needle uh, exchange, or needle take back, yes. not a needle exchange, but a needle take back, uh, where that you can properly dispose of any needles that you've got, uh, as long as they're in needle safe containers, mm-hmm. uh, they'll take those and dispose of those as well, right? Yes, the city of Enid uh, actually spurred that, uh, wanted to start doing that because they were finding needles in parks and around the, the city of Enid. And, and so that, I, I applaud the, the city of Enid for, for doing this. Uh, they, they will be there with, and, and they will be receiving any sharps, sharp containers, and they will dispose of them in the appropriate way. What time does the event start and where is it at on the 21st? It is at Champion Park. That is 10th and Chestnut, and it is from 3 to 6, May 21st. And what other kind of uh, resources are going to be available out that day from 3 to 6? We have, I believe, head starts coming, tea sets coming. Uh, We have just about any community organization that provides resources and help for any reason. It is not just in regard to drugs and alcohol. It's any resource that you need your that your family might need at this particular time. And we do know that there's uh, a lot of need in in Enid right now in regard to COVID and our supply chains and all of that good stuff. We don't want to get into that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I know that COVID has been a hardship 
for people. So uh, there will be someone there. I mean, there's a, a group in town that will provide clothing they will be there i mean we'll have games uh inside the gymnasium for for kids it's kind of an event for kids we'll have uh balloons and it's it's an awareness day and hopefully it spurs people to talk about you know the things that the resources that you might need whether it's drugs or alcohol and also know where to find those resources well, that's really cool. It's a really cool event uh, that I know that you guys have a big part in. And I, I appreciate the fact that you took your time out to talk about uh, Austin and talk about uh, what's going on with the Austin Box 21 or 12 Foundation uh, and, uh, and are using uh, the tragedy to uh, make a difference in our community. Thank you for having me. And, oh, I need to mention there's also free food oh yes so come out and enjoy and and just enjoy what our community has to offer well thank you gail and hope to see some of you guys out there on may 12th or 21st excuse me all right thank you so much